Chapter One of Free Air. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Free Air by Sinclair Lewis. Chapter One Miss Boltwood of Brooklyn is Lost in the Mud. When the windshield was closed, it became so filmed with rain that Claire fancied she was piloting a drowned car in dim spaces under the sea. When it was open, drops jabbed into her eyes and chilled her cheeks. She was excited and thoroughly miserable. She realized that these Minnesota country roads had no respect for her polite experience on Long Island parkways. She felt like a woman, not a driver. But the Gomez Depp Roadster had seventy horsepower and sang songs. Since she had left Minneapolis, nothing had passed her. Back yonder, a truck had tried to crowd her, and she had dropped into a ditch, climbed a bank, returned to the road, and after that the truck was not. Now she was regarding a view more splendid than mountains above a garden by the sea, a stretch of good road. To her passenger, her father, Claire chanted, Heavenly, there's some gravel. We can make time. We'll hustle on to the next town and get dry. Uh, yes, but don't mind me. You're doing very well, her father sighed. Instantly, the dismay of it rushing at her, she saw the end of the patch of gravel. The road ahead was a wet black smear, crisscrossed with ruts. The car shot into a morass of prairie gumbo which is mud mixed with tar, flypaper, fish glue, and well-chewed, chocolate-covered caramels. When cattle get into gumbo, the farmer sent for the stump dynamite and tried blasting. It was her first really bad stretch of road. She was frightened. Then she was too appallingly busy to be frightened, or to be Miss Claire Boltwood, or to comfort her uneasy father. She had to drive, her frail, graceful arms, put into it a vicious vigor that was genius. When the wheels struck the slime, they slid, they wallowed. The car skidded. It was terrifyingly out of control. It began majestically to turn toward the ditch. She fought the steering wheel as though she were shadowboxing, but the car kept contemptuously staggering till it was sideways, straight across the road. Somehow it was back again, eating into a rut, going ahead. She didn't know how she had done it, but she had got it back. She longed to take time to retrace her own cleverness in steering. She didn't. She kept going. The car backfired, slowed. She yanked the gear from third into first. She sped up. The motor ran like a terrified pounding heart, while the car crept on by inches through filthy mud that stretched ahead of her without relief. She was battling to hold the car in the principal rut. She snatched the windshield open and concentrated on that left rut. She felt that she was keeping the wheel from climbing those high sides of the rut, those six-inch walls of mud, sparkling with tiny grits. Her mind snarled at her arms. Let the ruts do the skeering. You're just fighting against them. It worked. Once she let the wheels alone, they comfortably followed the furrows, and for three seconds she had that delightful belief of every motorist after every mishap. 
Now that this particular disagreeableness is over, I'll never, never have any trouble again. But suppose the engine overheated, ran out of water, anxiety twanged at her nerves, and the deep, distinctive ruts were changing to a complex pattern like the rails in a city switchyard. She picked out the track of one motor car that had been through here recently. It was marked with a swastika tread of the rear tires. That track was her friend. She knew and loved the driver of a car she had never seen in her life. She was very tired. She wondered if she might not stop for a moment. Then she came to an upslope. The car faltered, felt indecisive beneath her. She jabbed down the accelerator. Her hands pushed the steering wheel as though she were pushing the car. The engine picked up, sulkily kept going. To the eye there was merely a rise in the rolling ground, but to her anxiety it was a mountain up which she, not the engine, but herself, pulled this bulky mass, till she had reached the top and was safe again, for a second. Still there was no visible end of the mud. In alarm she thought, how long does it last? I can't keep this up. I... Oh! The guiding tread of the previous car was suddenly lost in a mass of heaving, bubble-scattered mud like a batter of black dough. She fairly picked up the car and flung it into that welter, through it, and back into the reappearing swastika mark trail. Her father spoke. Uh, you're biting your lips. They'll bleed if you don't look out. Better stop and rest. Can't! No bottom to this mud. Once stop and lose momentum. Stuck for keeps. She had ten more minutes of it before she reached a combination of bridge and culvert with a plank platform above a big tile drain. With this solid plank bottom, she could stop. Silence came roaring down as she turned the switch. The bubbling water in the radiator steamed about the cap. Claire was conscious of tautness of the cords of her neck in front of a pain at the base of her brain. Her father glanced at her curiously. I must be a wreck. I'm sure my hair is frightful, she thought, but forgot it as she looked at him. His face was unusually pale. In the tumult of activity, he had been betrayed into letting the old despondent look blur his eyes and sag his mouth. Must get on, she determined. Claire was dainty of habit. She detested untwisted hair, ripped gloves, muddy shoes. Hesitant as a cat by a puddle, she stepped down on the bridge. Even on these planks the mud was three inches thick. It squidged about her low, spatted shoes. Eh, she squeaked. She tiptoed to the toolbox and took out a folding canvas bucket. She edged down to the trickling stream below. She was miserably conscious of a pastoral scene all gone to mildew. Cows beneath willows by the creek, milkweeds dripping, dried mullings, weed stalks no longer dry. The bank of the stream was so slippery that she shot down two feet and nearly went sprawling. Her knee did touch the bank, and the skirt of her gray sport suit showed a smear of yellow earth. In less than two miles, the racing motor had used up so much water that she had to make four trips to the creek before she had filled the radiator. When she had climbed back on the running board, she glared down at spats and shoes turned into gray lumps. She was not careful. She was angry. Idiot! Ought to have put on my rubbers. Well, too late now, she observed, and she started the engine. She again followed the swastika tread. 
To avoid a hole in the road ahead, the unknown driver had swung over to the side of the road and taken the intensely black earth of the edge of an unfenced cornfield. Flashing at Claire came the sight of a deep, water-filled hole, scattered straw and brush, debris of a battlefield, which made her gaspingly realize that her swastika leader had been stuck, and, and instantly her own car was stuck. She had had to put the car at that hole. It dropped far down, and it stayed down. The engine stalled. She started it, but the back wheels spun merrily round and round without traction. She did not make one inch. When she again killed the blatting motor, she let it stay dead. She peered at her father. He was not a father, just now, but a passenger trying not to irritate the driver. He smiled in a waxy way and said, Hard luck. Well, you did the best you could. The other hole there in the road would have been just as bad. You're a fine driver, Dolly. Her smile was warm and real. No, I'm a fool. You told me to put on chains. I didn't. I deserve it. Well, anyway, most men would be cussing. You acquire merit by not beating me. I believe that's done in moments like this. If you'd like, I'll get out and crawl around in the mud and play turtle for you. No, I'm quite all right. I did feel frightfully strong-minded as long as there was any use of it. It kept me going. But now I might just as well be cheerful, because we're stuck, and we're probably going to stay stuck for the rest of this carefree summer day. The weariness of the long strain caught her all at once. She slipped forward, sat huddled, her knees crossed under the edge of the steering wheel, her hands falling beside her, one of them making a faint brushing sound as it slid down the upholstery. Her eyes closed. As her head drooped further, she fancied she could hear the vertebrate click in her tense neck. Her father was a silent, a misty figure in a lap robe. The rain streaked the mica lights in the side curtains. A distant train whistled desolately across the sodden fields. The inside of the car smelled musty. The quiet was like a blanket over the ears. Claire was in a hazy drowse. She felt that she could never drive again. End of chapter 1